Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. journey series because we're talking about a journey and in this week towards Christmas Mark spoke last week very much about the journey the beginning the middle and the end and the fact that you know God has already established his journey in the earth in creation and um, in um, in eternity we know that God has already planned and established and we're somewhere in that journey with God we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this and we need to be relevant for such a time as this. We don't need to be, um, what's the word, when we're compatible with everybody else in the world. can't think of the word now, but um, we, we're not to be like everyone else in the world. We're, like, we're intended to be like God has intended us to be for now, for 2015, um, for Bromley, for our lives, for what he's doing here and what he's leading us into. And uh, <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning about a journey into hope. Because I think that hope is something which sometimes we don't really get a good grasp on. But God has spoken very much about hope. God is the hope of the world. And we need to really understand how our faith and our hope mix together. And how God is taking us on this journey into hope, into all that we have. We're living in dark days. We're living in difficult times. And many of us have got difficult times going on in our families, in our worlds, in our lives. And we need to know how hope fits into that to make us different from everybody else. Because if we're not different from everybody else, then what's the point? God has established us in himself. He's doing, taking us as a church on a journey. And we need to understand that, the relevance of that for us. And so Christmas is a time when you are going to... People are going to hear the name of Jesus more than at any other time of the year. Um, I've been off for the last couple of weeks on holiday and been at home and I've listened to Classical FM a lot of the time, had it on in the house, listening to carols. Everybody listens to carols this time of year. Everybody is going to hear the name of Jesus. And at school plays and nativities and the radio, everybody's playing carols. The name of Jesus is being breathed out, if you like, into the world at this time, especially in the Western world. And believers and unbelievers alike are hearing the name of Jesus. But for some people it will mean something and for some people it won't. And even for some believers, we don't understand the hope to which he has called us. And so this morning I want to look at hope Um, in Christ and I want to look at a prophecy that Isaiah prophesied which Matthew picked up on and it's in chapter 12 and it says this this fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him look at my servant whom I have chosen he is my beloved who pleases me I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations he will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Truth. That is the truth. And he is our hope. And we need to be able to carry that hope in our lives in practice 
out into the world. Um, the world needs hope. Many people, you will have heard preachers say that the local church is the hope of the world. And indirectly it is, because Christ in us is the hope. And we need to be able to demonstrate that hope. We get our hope confused with our circumstances. Yes. You know, um, no matter what we're going through in life, it's a very different thing the hope we have in Christ to the circumstances that we're going on, that's going on in our world. And we need to be able to separate the two. We need to be able to stand in the hope that Christ has uh, in us. In the first service, we sung that song, It Is Well With My Soul. How can we stand there and say, it is well with my soul when my life is in chaos? We can because they're not interrelated. They are separate things. But when we can stand there and say, it's well with my soul, it will have an impact on our circumstances. It will change our mindset. It will change the focus of our thinking. And therefore, we need to really understand and to be able to separate. I want to talk to you this morning about four things about hope. And the first thing is, is that, and you know this, hope is an anchor for our soul. We have to be anchored. We have to be secure in life. It's almost like we need to be nailed to the ground, as it were, so that when the winds and the waves come against us, it doesn't knock us down. We hear about people who are struggling in their faith, who've turned away from their faith through circumstances. That shouldn't happen if you're nailed down in your hope in Christ. Circumstance, no matter what happens for me in my family, it will not change God's word. God's word will stay the same. The truth will stay the same. What will shift is whether I believe it or not, whether I stand on it or not, whether I live it or not, whether I apply it or not. That's what will change. And it says here, now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. Jesus has taken his father to stand, to, to hold him to the oath that he took. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Isn't that incredible? God has been bound by an oath that he can't change his mind. And so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. And therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. You know, if you ever have to swear an oath, I've sworn an oath with an affidavit. If you swear an oath, you put your hand on the Bible, if it's the Bible you're using, and you promise to tell the truth. That's what an oath is. I promise that I will tell the truth. God has done that. He has given us his word and he said, I've promised to stick to my word. I've promised to tell the truth. I've promised to stand by my promises and I've taken an oath that I will not change my mind. I will not go back on what is written. I will not go back on what I've established. God, we can hope in that. It is a certainty. It is a surety. Is there anything else in the world that we can hope in like that? You can't hope in the weather. You can't hope in your job. You can't hope in anything. You can't hope in any other God. You can't hope in any other deity in the same way. Nobody else has declared like that. I've taken an oath. I will not change my mind. I will not go back. There are some people who don't believe in absolute truth, but this is absolute truth. It's not going to change. 
It's there and it's been there for 2,000 years and it isn't going to change. And God has said, I I have established it. Therefore, you can use it to anchor your life. You can use it to anchor your soul. What is this hope? This hope is the confident expectation in God to fulfill his promises. It's not like, oh, I hope the bus turns up on time or I hope the supermarket isn't shut when I get there. This is... I know I can hope in this because God isn't going to... It's a confident expectation that God is going to deliver on his promises, not according to the way I've worked them out, but according to the way that he has worked them out. It is strong and it is trustworthy. Why do we need an anchor? Well, because storms of life come and they will keep coming. When we are living in in days... I, I, I watch the news most days, but simply because I want to... I want to have an understanding of what's going on in the world. I want to understand what's happening in the Middle East and in Syria and other countries. I want to understand, I want to know. And most of it is dark and most of it is awful. But God is still in charge. God is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God is still going to bring justice. God is still um, over all in everything. And don't ask me how it's all going to work out. I don't know. All I know is I've got something solid that I can believe in, trust in and stand on. And why do we need an anchor? Because we need to be we need to be pinned down. We need to know that we're going to survive. And <clears throat> did you know that when you throw an anchor off the boat, off a boat, any of you might be boaties, I'm not, I learned this, but When you throw an anchor off a boat, the length of the rope or the chain has to be long enough, not just to reach the bottom, but to be able to cope with a rising tide and to be able to cope with a storm. Because if you're in 20 foot of water and you drop an anchor 20 foot on a tight rope, what happens when the tide rises? Your boat's going to sink or your anchor will come off the bottom. And if a storm comes, it, you will be loosed from your anchor. You need to have a chain or a rope that is long enough to survive a rising tide and to survive a storm. And that's like our faith. Our faith has to go down deep. Our hope has to be deep. It has to be strong enough to survive a rising tide and to survive a storm in our life. There needs to be plenty of it. It speaks of, it speaks of a, a, um, a, a depth and a maturity in Christ that length of that chain that will hold us firm as we've built that into our life through the knowledge of his word. That confident expectation we have in God must be strong enough to cope with, with, with life storms and it's born out of relationship. And that's come through in both services this morning. It's born out of relationship in God. It's not born out of knowledge of God. It's born out of relationship with God. And there are many people in churches today and even maybe here this morning who know, don't know God for himself. You know about God, but you don't know God. There's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. And we need to really know him in order to strengthen us and to hold us still. Hope uses the word of God to anchor our spirit. My heart and my flesh might fail me, but God is the strength of my life, we sing. So my, my flesh might fail, my flesh might get sick, my heart might fail and I might be disillusioned or disappointed or chasing after something which isn't happening. But my spirit is anchored. My spirit is anchored through the word of God into God and my soul is anchored and that's what will keep us firm. The devil means things for harm, but he doesn't have the final say. 
And so often we behave as though he does. Oh, I've been knocked down. Oh, I'm under attack. I never say those words and because my anchor is holding me. I might be under attack, but the devil doesn't have the last word. I might be bobbing on the surface, but at least I'm anchored. And, and, and we shouldn't think of ourselves as being knocked down because I'm under attack. No, I'm standing. I'm standing firm because I'm anchored in God. And my circumstances can do whatever they like to batter me around, but they're not going to knock me down. They're not going to knock me down because I'm anchored in God. I'm anchored in truth. I'm anchored in promises. And that is what's going to hold me firm. That is the truth, not my circumstances. And our faith and our hope are so closely linked. You know, faith is not some kind of newspaper theology. Paul said, I am fully persuaded. I'm fully persuaded that God is able to do what he's promised. There was no doubt in Paul's mind. And I remember, I remember vividly, March the 7th, 1981, was when I went overseas. And it was an overnight flight. And as I got on the plane, I opened up my daily light, which is what I used to read in those days. And I, never, I still remember the scripture. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep me. And that was the scripture on that day to take me overseas and into the journey that God had for me. And I was only 24 years of age at the time. And so it's being fully persuaded that this is going to hold us and this is going to anchor us is what we need in God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we need to be able to trust in what we don't see. That's what faith is. I can't see all these promises of God, but I know that God has made them and therefore I can believe them. God never made himself visible to the children of Israel. He did that on purpose. They were never visible to him, but they kept wanting to make idols because they wanted something to look at to say this is God. God doesn't want that. That's not faith. God wants us to believe in someone who we don't see because we have a relationship with him. And therefore, um, our, our faith is expressed in our love and our belief in him. It's our expectation. So faith, hope then is an anchor for our soul. The second thing is hope reinterprets circumstances. And I just want to give some background to this before I give you that scripture. Hope reinterprets circumstances and I want to just read some scriptures in Hosea because I love this book the book of Hosea and it talks about God drawing us back Israel had turned away from God over and over and over again but God couldn't forget them God wanted to draw them back you know we're created in his image he cannot forget us when he looks at us he looks at himself he sees himself in us And God cannot forget us. God cannot forget you. Um, Somebody's written a great song, which I listen to quite often in my car, You Are Not Forgotten. Who is it? I can't think of his name now, but anyway. Um, uh, Who sings that song? Israel Houghton. That's it. Thank you. You Are Not Forgotten. And it's true, we are not forgotten. Sometimes we can feel like God has forgotten us. But God can't forget us because we're created in his image. Um, And so in this account of Hosea, it's about God drawing, the way that God uses to draw us to himself, using his love and his mercy and his grace. Um, It's about his, a a real illustration of God's salvation. And in Hosea 2, it says this, But me she forgot, 
that's Israel. Me she forgot, says the Lord, and therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals and they shall be remembered by their name no more. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. What is God saying here? God is saying he can't forget about us. No matter what's going on in our lives, no matter whether we've turned away from him or not, he can't forget about us. And the way he brings us back is to lure us. He lures us back by his love and his grace and his mercy. And he brings us to the valley of Achor. Achor means trouble. He brings us to a valley of trouble in order to make it a door of hope. A door is something you go through. So he brings us in our troubles to a door that is open, a door of hope that we can step through. And there we will sing. God wants us to sing and worship in our circumstances. It says, as they did in their youth when he brought them up out of Egypt. And in that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband, not my master. What is the difference between a husband and a master? A husband speaks of intimate relationship. A master speaks of doing what you're told because that's what you have to do. You need to know God as your husband. We sung that this morning. We don't preach about this so much. We sung this morning over the mountains, over the sea. Here you come running. Song of Solomon this is. Here you come running. My lover to me. How often do we think of God as a lover? I think about him as a lover a lot. I don't know whether it's an easier thing for a woman to do, but he is our lover. He is tender-hearted. He is kind. He is compassionate. Yes, he's a judge. But he is kind and tender-hearted. He wants us to know him in an intimate way. He wants to draw us into that intimacy with him. Because then he says, you'll know me. There are many people who don't know him as their husband. They know him as their master. That's legalism. That's lawfulness. But God wants us to know him deeper than that. God wants us to know him in an intimate way so that we can trust in his promises, so that we can walk in his ways, so that he says, I will betroth you to me for how long? I will betroth you to me. Many of you in this room know what betrothal is. A joining together. God says, I'm going to join you together with me forever. I can't forget you. And how can he do this? How can he turn that door into expectation for us? How? Because when he draws us into covenant relationship with him, he has made an assurance by fulfilling both sides of the covenant. It says here that in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy, he'll betroth us in faithfulness. God, when he entered into covenant relationship with us, ensured that he would fulfill both sides of the covenant so we could be a part of it. In the Old Testament, there was the law and we kept breaking the law. And God knew that the law wasn't going to be able to draw us into relationship. But covenant grace does. He has fulfilled both sides of the covenant. His righteousness on his side, his righteousness on our side. We have his righteousness. As the prodigal father put his cloak 
over the sun. He covered his sin with his righteous robe. And God has put righteousness on his side of the covenant. He's put righteousness on our side of the covenant. He's put justice on his side of the covenant. And he's justified us on our side of the covenant. Justified through faith in the blood of Christ who died for us. He has put loving kindness on his side of the covenant and mercy and he's put that on our side of the covenant too and faithfulness and therefore the covenant cannot fail because God is holding up both sides. It's not dependent on us. People say I'm not good enough for God. You're not. Nobody is. But he's fulfilled both sides. You can come into covenant relationship with Christ because, and, and hope in him because he's holding up both sides for us. It's an incredible thing that God has done and and that God will do. And God lures us into that kind of relationship. He can't forget us. No matter where you are this morning, if you feel your situation is hopeless, it shouldn't be because there is no such thing as hopelessness if you're a Christian. Because God draws us into hope. We can hope. And God wants to lure you in this morning into hoping in him. God, hope in God will reinterpret the circumstances. Why? Because circumstances wake us up to listen. When something goes dramatically wrong in your life or wrong in your circumstances, the first thing we want to do is, God, what are you saying? God, what am I going to do? God, help me. God, where's the answer in all of that? Circumstances wake us up to listen more than at other times. And when we listen and we hope in God... God will reinterpret our circumstances for us and guide us through when we hope and we're anchored in him. The next thing I want to talk to you about is um, that hope depends on knowing the word of God. Hope depends on knowing the word of God. And it says in Romans 4.15, for whatsoever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope if i had only one piece of advice to give to believers and i could only give you one piece and nothing else i would say to you know the word know the word you have to know the word We have to know it and we have to grow in it and it's a journey for our whole life. My niece was staying with me for a couple of days this week and we were just talking and she's in her 20s and she's the the daughter of my late sister so we often have time together, she has faith, we have time together and she's in her mid-20s and she's struggling with things that people in their mid-20s struggle with and I'm trying to help her through some of these circumstances and she wants everything now and I said to her, you know, life is like a marathon. And you're only about at the six-mile mark. (laughs) You know, life is a marathon. You can't know everything, have everything, and be everything in your 20s. I'm in my 50s now, and I've still got more to know. It's an accumulation of walking with God. I never forget when I was a very young believer in this house, um, Reg, when Reg and Eve were the pastors here, and Reg used to stand at this platform and he'd say, you know, the older I get, the more I love God. And I used to think, "Hmm, how can I love him more than I do now? But I do. The longer you walk with God, the deeper your relationship, the more you know of him, the more you love him and the more you want of him. You know, and we have to be prepared to invest our time in his word. We have to be prepared if we want to know him, to get to know him through his word and to understand his word, to live his word, to put his word to the test. Because hope depends on knowing the word. And there's a great story in Judges. Um, about a situation where 
someone who didn't know the word and the consequences of what happened. And this was um, Gideon after he defeated the Midianites. He discovered that, that there were these two men who'd killed some of his brothers. And so he wanted revenge for his brothers. And so he captured these two men and he brought them. And he said to his oldest son, he said, I want you to kill these two brothers. He was trying to get his son to begin to learn the way of warfare. And so he said, I want you to do it. And the scripture says this, it says in Judges 8.20, turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword, for he was only a boy and he was afraid. What was he afraid of? He had the instruction from his father. What was he afraid of? He didn't know how to draw his sword. He didn't know how to draw his sword out and to use it. He didn't wonder, he may have been afraid thinking that he was no match for these two men, but he had the instruction of his father. His father was standing right there saying, take out your sword and use it. And he still was too afraid to do it. And we're like that too. The father is instructing us, take out your sword and use it. And we're saying, I'm too afraid to, I don't know how to. Why don't we know how to? If we can't handle the sword, the word of God, we know the sword is the word of God. If we can't handle the word of God, we're going to get wounded. If we can't, if we're unskilled in doctrine, we are going to be ineffectual in battle. You're not going to be able to stand in your circumstances. You're not going to be able to step out even more in your circumstances if you're afraid, if you don't know how to stand on hope, if you don't know how to stand on God's word. And we were yesterday... um, praying for somebody in the afternoon and as we began to pray I began to realize I can only pray from where I'm at now I can't pray some wonderful prayer of faith that I don't have because I heard it on God TV I can only pray from where I'm at now and if I want to extend my faith and if I want to be able to pray in a in a better or not a better way but in a way that makes me understand God more then I need to move on in my journey, I need to know more, God, more of God. I need to know how to pray. I know that the effective fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much, but I need to know greater effective fervent prayers. I need to know how to pray them. That's a part of my journey. I can pray from what I know now, my platform of knowledge and understanding of God now, but I could pray even greater if I moved that journey on. If I moved on in my understanding and if I moved on in my knowledge of God, how am I going to do that if I'm committed to his word? If I'm committed to knowing him, not knowing about him from someone else who's told me, oh, this person had this and this person had that. Well, I maybe haven't got that kind of faith yet, but I want it. And I want to be able to move into it. We need to know how to be effective, how to use our sword. We can't be afraid. He's standing right next to his father, but he didn't know how to draw his sword. And we are standing so close to the Father. And many of us don't know how to use the word of God in our circumstances and how to stand strong on it. So the next thing is that hope gives us strength and courage and boldness. And this is in Psalm 31. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Go into um, Psalms, uh, look up the word hope, and many, many Psalms will have that word in it. It's a great place to start. Hope about the hope in God. Hope will make us strong. Hope will make us courageous. Hope will cause us to step out. You know, we all have our, have our comfort zone. 
But, you know, unless we step outside of our comfort zone, we're never going to enlarge it. You know, and you might step out of your comfort zone and actually feel like you're falling off. But actually, as you build that up, that becomes a bigger comfort zone. And we learn and we grow. We have to step out of our comfort zone. We have to have courage in God. We have to have courage to step out and to do things and to trust God and to grow in him. But I want to just give you a couple of examples in the New Testament about courage and boldness. Um, And this is actually Abraham, but it's written in Romans. And I just love this. It says, even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. Isn't that great? Thank you, Abraham, because that means I can too. Even when there's no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. And if you're feeling this morning that there's no reason to hope, then I want to tell you hope anyway. Hope anyway. Because it's not about our reasoning. It's not about our working it out of what we think is going to happen. It's about knowing God. And Abraham, even when there was no hope, he kept on hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said it to him. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though he was 100 years old, his body, he figured his body was as good as dead. So was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Paul was convinced. Abraham was convinced. Now, if I was 100 and my husband was 100... And he said, you're going to have a baby. I would need some hope, wouldn't I? I'd need something to believe in. But in fact, actually knowing that it was impossible, knowing now, naturally, that would be impossible, Abraham says, well, hope anyway, because God has said it. Hope anyway, because God has said it. And in fact, don't let your faith weaken. Let it make your faith stronger. Isn't that incredible? Don't let it weaken you. Don't let it knock you down. Trust in God. Trust in what God has said and cause it to make your faith grow stronger because you're standing on God's word and you're standing in your relationship with God. And the interesting thing is here, that word in the original Hebrew of Abraham hoping in God is the word quava or quaver. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. And it means literally to be tied to with a cord, to be attached to with a rope. And so what this is saying is that Abraham attached himself to the hope in God. He attached himself to what God had promised. He tied himself. He bound himself. He roped himself to the promise of God and said, I am attaching myself to the promise of God, because God has said it, it's going to happen. In the natural, it looks impossible. But in God, because God has said it, I'm going to believe it. I'm attaching myself to that. And therefore, my faith will grow stronger, not weaker. He was fully convinced. And Mary is our other example of courage and strength as an example of hope. Do you want to come back, Adam? Thank you. And in Luke 1, 35, it says here, The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And a few days later, Mary arrived, sorry, hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. And she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. And at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, I've never been pregnant, but I can imagine 
that the presence of the Holy Spirit coming in, causing your baby to leap in the womb, is astonishing. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth gave a great cry and explained to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. So as, sorry, why am I so honoured that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard the greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed the Lord would do what he had said. Can you imagine that? This is incredible. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby in her womb jumps and she, Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Mary is believing in what God said he would do. Can you imagine the impact that you might have on someone else? because of what you're doing in believing in faith in God. I think that's quite phenomenal. You cannot underestimate what God can do because of Mary's obedience, because Mary believed that God would do what he said he would do. Even against all circumstances of her reputation and everything, and in going to visit her cousin, her cousin was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary's belief in what God had said not only fulfilled her destiny, it had an impact on Elizabeth. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit because of the child in Mary's womb. Isn't that phenomenal? So hope is our confident expectation, our sure certainty that what God has promised in his word is true. It either has occurred or it will occur according to his will. So this Christmas, when you're thinking about him, whether it's through a Christmas carol or whether it's as you have your time or whether it's while you're in here, think about your hope in him. Think about how your hope in him affects your life and how it can affect the lives of others supernaturally as it did for Mary and Elizabeth because we're trusting in him. Get anchored in our hope in him. Reinterpret your circumstances by hoping in Christ, by understanding him and knowing him. Amen. Amen.